It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. At this moment, the Senate is voting to advance a so-called gun control bill that is, in fact, a law that would allow police to confiscate firearms unconstitutionally and legally from American citizens who have not been charged, much less convicted of a crime. Now, many Republican senators, such as Joni Ernst and Shelley Moore Caputo, are reportedly voting yes on the bill. It's hard to believe that's true, but apparently it is. Senator John Cornyn, the lead Republican negotiator who has gone far left in recent years is currently celebrating on the Senate floor because, again, only Ukrainians are allowed to have guns. Corner was just seen shaking hands with Chuck Schumer, his close friend. Is he representing the voters of Texas? No. But apparently John Cornyn isn't just stopping with guns. He has his sights now on immigration. Cornyn was just seen smiling while speaking to Democratic Senator Alex Padilla, saying, quote, first guns, now it's immigration. Has there ever been a greater, more brazen sellout of any group of voters than what Republican senators Mitch McConnell, John Cornyn, and the rest are doing right now. Talk about a subversion of democracy. If they keep this up, the system will collapse. You have to represent the interests of your voters. That's why you're there. All right, I talk, Tucker said it better than I could, and that's what happened. I think that's the biggest news story of last night. While we were having a primary in several states, and I'll tell you about some of the results in a second, the Senate was busy. Oh, yes, they were busy. And according to Josh Hawley, they did what they have been doing. They've been doing exactly, under Mitch McConnell, what the Democrats have been doing. I'll, I'll give you Josh Hawley's words. He says, here we are voting to move on a bill negotiated entirely behind closed doors. Now, this is on your right, your Second Amendment right, to own and buy and operate a gun. Uh, released only an hour ago, that no one has had time to fully read, that ignores the national crime wave and chips away instead at the fundamental rights of law-abiding citizens. No, says Senator Josh Hawley. So uh, we don't have time to go into the details of the bill. The thing that is the biggest red flag to me is the red flag laws. I just think it's uh, incredible that they would, the Senate Republicans would even consider handing the ability to take away guns on such thin grail. Uh, and so we'll get into that in more detail later, but I have a lot of things to tell you. I do want to tell you this. This is a, um, a thread of someone who was on the floor last night when the vote was taken, and this is kind of the uh, thing, uh, what he observed. He says, um, Cornyn and Schumer are shaking hands on the floor. Rubio votes against advancing the bipartisan gun deal. Capito votes yes. Cornyn overheard on the Senate floor, it's only 80 pages long. How long do you need to read it? Shelby, who is retiring, votes no on advancing the gun deal. The vibe in the Senate is so positive right now that Schumer gave Susan Collins a fist bump. A smiling Cornyn tells Badia, first guns, now it's immigration. And Cinema, the Democrat, added, that's right, we're going to do it. 
Okay, so this is what happened. Uh, Fourteen Republicans voted yes, led by Mitch McConnell, who's, you know, behind closed doors helped develop this. So there are 14 of them, and you should know who they are because you should vote against them. These are Republicans. Roy Blunt, Richard Burr, Shelley Moore Capito, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, John Cornyn, Joni Ernst, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, Lisa Murkowski, Rob Portman, Mitt Romney, Tom Tillis, and Todd Young. They need to go. They need to go. And I want to tease. I never do tease like I should. That's Radio 101, and I'm just always in such a hurry. I don't do it. But in the last segment today, we'll be talking to Senator Rick Scott, who has come up to kind of challenge McConnell in a very real way. So we'll have a conversation with him. You'll hear that in the last segment. And then the last thing on guns is that we are hearing now that the Biden administration is moving to restrict future production at Winchester's Lake City plant to cut off 5.56% of the ammunition supply to the public. Uh, and I don't know anything about this other than that. And as we will we'll talk up to a gun expert about it later, but I want to talk to you now about elections. You want to know what happened last night? I'll tell you just two races that I can track right now that you'll want to know about. Mo Brooks, defeated by Katie Britt by 63% to 37%. I cannot explain that. I cannot explain that. I just would say that those of you in Alabama, I hope you made the right choice. Maybe you know something I don't know. Maybe Katie Britt is uh, going to be wonderful, a fighter uh, in the U.S. Senate. Uh, oppose Mitch McConnell and that gang that just uh, passed that, you know, they're moving that bill to passage. Uh, what what will Katie Britt do? I don't know, but that's who they, they chose. We know what Mo Brooks would have done. So uh, Alabama got Katie Britt, so we'll see. She's pretty and she's she's very articulate and sweet. So, uh, you know, it reminds me of, um, of uh, the, the, oh, what I just say, the, the uh, senator from Missouri who voted yes on this bill, who was a, a an American Army veteran. I don't know if she was Army, but she was an armed services veteran. Joni Ernst, who, uh, you know, was such, you know, going to be so strong and so powerful. Her ads were so, you know, exciting about pigs and all the things on her farm behind her. And she's just gone completely to the left with Mitch McConnell. So I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, you have to be so careful when you vet people. You have to listen carefully. You have to listen to what insiders close to things know about candidates. Last but not least, a good thing, Yesley Vega won last night in Virginia. I'm sorry, allergies. Yesley Vega uh, won in a, in a uh, sorry, choking. Yesley is an immigrant to the United States. Uh, she is, uh, from all accounts, just a stellar candidate. People that I know are Dave Bratt. It's his seat originally. It's Abigail Spanberger who won that seat and defeated Dave Bratt. And so, so Yesley will go up against Abigail. So that's that's really interesting. And I, that's all I have the chance to say about uh, the elections. Uh, all right, I'm going to move to the next subject because <clears throat> because my voice. So um, I want you to hear what uh, the J6 committee continues to just, you know, hammer away at everything. And the media is really excited about this. Let's listen to clip three. 
There's never been a bigger or more important story in American history than this. This is the most important story in the history of the Republic. These January 6th hearings are remarkable. They are riveting. The hearings last night, they were searing. They were vivid. It was compelling. It was chilling. The videos were chilling. And it was, it, I think it's going to be historic. This was a historic, compelling hearing. This is very compelling uh, television because it's a very compelling hearing and it's compelling it's must-see tv i've been texting with a number of sources i was texting people live during the hearing um the words that i was hearing from them were stomach churning riveting compelling one senator told me that he had a lump in his throat as he was watching the video and hearing this testimony stunning testimony from the house select committee investigating the january 6th assault a stunning round of testimony from the witnesses of course what the committee was able to offer in terms of new materials that we had never seen before this is so much worse than something like Watergate. This is so much worse than Watergate. This is a watershed moment for our democracy. What happened on January 6th is so much worse than Watergate. Really? It really is. By a uh, hundred degrees. Orders of magnitude worse than Watergate. I, yeah. You know, you, you know about Watergate, the history books. Uh, this blows Watergate out of the water. Watergate is a walk in the park next to the January 6th attack on American democracy and the almost assassination of an American vice president at the hands of a mob incited by the American president. This is the most important and disturbing uh, incident that's ever happened in the 246 years of the American Constitutional Republic. All right. So there you go. That's how they're posing it. And it, they're being very effective. I would, you know, I don't care. Republicans are saying this isn't having any effect. I'll tell you who it's having effect on. It's having effect on D.C. pundits. They're listening. Even uh, 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 Jonathan Turley amazes me. He actually tweeted that, you know, Bill Barr told the president uh, that there was no truth to the election fraud and the president wouldn't listen. So now Jonathan Turley, who's sort of defended President Trump in many ways, he's a Democrat, Jonathan Turley, but uh, now, you know, it's amazing how smart people get so sucked in, they don't, they cannot shake loose their environment and realize that they are only hearing one side of the story, edited side of the story. They brought in Brad Raffensperger from Georgia yesterday, the former, the Secretary of State who just got reelected, who was in the thick of the mess uh, that night, that election night of 2020. Uh, uh, we still don't know exactly what Brad Raffensperger's part in that was, but of course he would testify against President Trump at that committee. Of course he would. And then they brought out uh, the Arizona, I think it's the sec, uh, what is he, the Arizona House Speaker. And this is what he said. Um, he said that he told the president after the election uh, that it was rigged, uh, hang on a second, Trump. Sorry, i got to start at the beginning of the sentence. Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers, who campaigned for Trump, of course they have to add that, and that is important if that's true, responded to a Trump statement claiming that he had told the president after the election that it was rigged and he won the state. Bowers testified that was false. Joe Biden won the state. In a post-election call from Trump and Giuliani claiming to have evidence of dead people and illegal immigrants voting never provided, they told the speaker he could remove Biden's electors and replace them with Trump electors. With cold eye intensity, Bowers said he told them they were asking him to violate his oath, which he swore to the Constitution, and he told the panel that that was foreign to my very being. Now, I've heard his testimony referred to by several people who were so moved by it. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, with my own eyes, with my own eyes, I watched the hearing 
post-election in 2020, where people came forward and testified to what they had seen in the Arizona elections. Uh, Jake Hoffman, who is a friend who serves in the Arizona uh, House, uh, has very different accounts of this. And yet no one else from Arizona was allowed to speak. So the narrative is this. President Trump uh, was trying to establish fake electors with the help of John Eastman in order to, you know, present a false narrative, the big lie that the election was stolen. And he should be impeached. That's criminal, isn't it? It's criminal, isn't it? And I'll tell you the biggest damage that's going to come from this committee is that if, if you think for a minute that their referrals to the Justice Department, people keep saying this committee can't, you know, can't criminally prosecute. Well, that's true. But if you think that their referrals to the Justice Department would fall on deaf ears, then let's see. You're not watching the news or what's going on because I'm sure they will be met, whatever they say, with open arms. We understand that members of the Justice Department are watching these hearings, you know, for their clues of how to handle this. So they're, they're, they're helping a lot uh, provide the, uh, the prosecution of Donald Trump. And by the way, President Trump was speaking at the Faith and Freedom Coalition just yesterday, I think, and this is what he said, clip four. January 6th, defendants are having their <laughs> lives totally destroyed and being treated worse than terrorists and murderers, despite most being charged with parading through the Capitol. Most people should not be treated the way they're being treated. And if I become president someday, if I decide to do it, I will be looking at them very, very seriously for pardons. Very, very seriously. They've been treated very unfairly. You know, uh, very, yeah, well, if you listen to this show, you know that I agree with him. This is just horrendous. By the way, that uh, Stephen Colbert team that broke into the Capitol, or the, yeah, the Capitol on whatever night that was, uh, and uh, was arrested by Capitol Police uh, for breaking and entering and being unlawfully there. They they went to the J6 testimony of families, wives, whose husbands are incarcerated, and they took that stupid puppet and mocked the people that were giving testimony. Yeah, that's what's happening. And so uh, the January 6th, uh, President Trump now is the center of that. John Eastman is the, uh, the, vic- the uh, wicked guy who proposed an illegal theory that perhaps the uh, electors could be, that this count could be stalled for a little bit to decide if uh, President Trump was or was not the president of the United States, the new president. And uh, meanwhile, these guys are incarcerated for 22 to 24 hours a day. That's not being discussed. It is such a horrendous uh, Soviet-style prosecution. I can hardly stand it. Stay tuned. You know, a lot of times you have to choose between something high quality or something that saves you money. But if you can get both, why not? Especially when it comes to health care. And that's MediShare. You get both. The typical family saves 500 bucks a month switching to MediShare. And that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. It's because MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge PPO network. So yeah, really, you could save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. If you're self-employed or part of the gig economy, or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. Here is the number you need. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 
833-44-BIBLE. This is Bible League International. Thank God your pastor wasn't attacked on Sunday, but it happened to Pastor Nepo recently while preaching in Burundi, Africa. Twenty radicals dragged him down the aisle to the front lawn where they beat him nearly to death because he's been faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims and nearly 200 have come to Christ in his village where Christians are attacked daily. Anyone who comes to Jesus as their Lord and Savior are easily persecuted. In coastal India, Jayanth planted a church in a village with no Christians, and today, more than half of that village follows Christ, but it did not come easy. His house was burned down twice, his wife was assaulted, and many in the church have been threatened with death, but they're not praying for an end to their suffering, they're praying for Bibles to endure and persevere. We're halfway to our goal to send God's Word to 16,000 Bibleless persecuted believers, and we need to wrap up in a week, so at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20. Will you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Send BiblesNow.org and God bless you for caring. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Hey, this is Evangelist Nick Hall coming this summer. Together 22, 50 years ago, Explo 72, led by Billy Graham, rallied an entire generation to share the gospel. This summer, June 24th and 25th, we're doing it again, and it's free. Together 22 will feature some of the biggest names in Christian music, some of the best preachers coming to equip you. More information at Pulse.org. George Washington University will no longer be known as the Colonials. The Board of Trustees voted to toss the nickname because it offended, perpetually offended, woke snowflakes. They say Colonials is a throwback to white supremacy and slavery. They say the original colonialists stole land from the Indians and enslaved black people, which of course is not true, but these days everybody has their own version of the truth. A new moniker has yet to be decided. My recommendations include the invertebrate snowflakes, or the yellow-bellied chicken hearts. I suspect it won't be the last name change at George Washington University. Wait until the snowflakes figure out our first president was also a slaveholder. In a few years, students will be graduating from Karl Marx University, the Fighting Commies. My latest book, A Deep Dive into the Cancel Culture Mob, I Expose Their Real Agenda, Culture Jihad. It's available at (laughs) ToddStarns.com. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. If abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either. That's just part of the message outside Wisconsin Family Action here, and it continues inside the building. Madison police say it appears someone threw a Molotov cocktail inside the building. This building was up in flames this morning when police and firefighters arrived, and this is the aftermath. Broken windows, shattered glass, and graffiti. CEO Jim Hardin says this didn't come as a complete shock. Recently, Compass Care has been receiving threats online and in person. The graffiti on the side of the building says Jane was here. And Hardin says he thinks the abortion rights group Jane's Revenge is behind the attack. All right, that's a report from Wisconsin. And we've been watching pregnancy centers for the last six weeks since the leak from the Supreme Court went out about indicating that the court might overturn Roe versus Wade, we've had these kind of attacks. Nancy Pelosi was asked about this. Was she concerned? Did she want to do something to stop it? And this is what she said. There has been a number of attacks on uh, 
on on churches, on uh, crisis pregnancy centers. Republicans are going after <coughs> Democrats for not saying anything, and they're saying that that your rhetoric is contributing to these attacks on these crisis pregnancy centers. Well, let me what are just Democrats say this. On this? A woman has a right to choose, to live up to her responsibility. It's up to her, her doctor, her family, her husband, her, her significant other, and her God. I'm a very Catholic person, and I believe in every woman's right to make her own decisions. Whatever that means, all right. So there you go. You got your answer. They don't care. And meanwhile, Amy Coney Barrett had, has young girls marching in front of her home where her children are, her six children, girls with bloody skirts carrying babies. Uh, We have threats from Jane's revenge of a night of rage, and on and on it goes. So the question is, why in the world hasn't the court released their decision? I've asked Mike Davis, who's become a good friend. Uh, Join us. Mike is one of the nation's leading experts on all things Supreme Court. He's the former chief counsel for nominations to Senate Judiciary former Senate Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley. Uh, He's also the founder of Article 3 Project, and he joins us this morning. Good morning, Mike. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Why, why, why? Why has the court not issued that their um, decision on that uh, abortion case? That's a very good question. Uh, The Chief Justice should have just issued the opinion uh, nearly 50 days ago when this leaked, and uh, they could have done a per curiam decisions saying that the opinions opinions will follow. And since this time, you've seen uh, these radical, violent radicals showing up at uh, abortion clinics, at churches, as you discussed, at Justice Kavanaugh's home with his young daughters inside, all of the conservative justices, they've been showing up at their homes for weeks now and, and harassing them. They've We've had uh, justices and their families uh, having to be removed from their homes. You had an assassination attempt where a man traveled from California uh, with a gun, with padded shoes, with zip ties, uh, with pepper spray, with burglary tools to burglarize and uh, assassinate Justice Kavanaugh in the middle of the night with his wife and two young daughters. This is insanity. I think the bigger problem, though, is is that the Biden Justice Department, the Biden administration, the uh, the Attorney General Merrick Garland are responsible for this because they have allowed this to happen. It is, it is a violation of federal law, 18 U.S.C. 1507, obstruction of justice, to show up to a federal judge's home to intimidate them on a pending case. We saw deadly consequences of uh, of doxing federal judges. Judge Esther Salas, uh, an Obama appointee in New Jersey, had her 20-year-old son, Daniel, murdered and her husband, Mark, seriously wounded by a deranged gunman who was upset with her over a, a pending case. Uh, with 18 U.S.C. 247, it is, it is uh, a civil rights violation, a federal civil rights violation to harass uh, people at church or to destroy church property. Uh, or places of worship. So that should, the, the FBI should be, be looking into both of those things. It's also a federal civil rights violation, 18 U.S.C. 248, uh, not only to go to an abortion clinic and, and uh, destroy property or harass patients, it's also pregnancy centers. So we talk about, Nancy Pelosi says that these women should have a, a right to choose. Well, how about the women who choose to keep their babies? Why should they be harassed and intimidated at churches and at uh, crisis pregnancy centers. Uh, Just 
Back in March, there were nine people by the Biden and Justice Biden Justice Department who were indicted under 18 U.S.C. 248 and 18 U.S.C. 241 for for, uh, for protesting at an abortion clinic in D.C. Uh-huh. and the conspiracy against rights. Mm-hmm. So why is there this selective enforcement? Well, we know why. We have a breakdown of law and order. It's just a total breakdown. And you know, Mike, one thing that really concerns me, because I don't hear people talking about this, in my uh, bit of research I've done about Jane's Revenge, which is claiming credit openly for a lot of these things, who are calling calling for a night of rage against the Supreme Court, and I think anyone else that opposes them it, when the decision comes down, we know about them. Uh, Andy No talks about how they are related to Antifa, uh, and they have videos of uh, you know of um, they're like car- they're not cartoons. They're like scenes from movies where like someone runs down an aisle with a dagger and they say you know act act we know what to do act take action. I mean it's it's really horrific. And I hear just silence about that. Plus one last thing uh, in Nicholas John Roski, he's the guy that tried to assassinate uh, Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, we could, I read in just one place, Mike, that his address before he was, I think they call it, they say he's from Simi Valley, something like that, California, that his prior address was Seattle. He was dressed in all black. Uh, it just sounds to me like um, there should be an investigation about some Antifa or Jane's revenge connection with him. And I don't hear anything about that. I doubt anything's happening with that. Uh, but do you think that the – do you not agree that by the, the chief justice delaying the release of this opinion – it's putting the justices in more danger. Absolutely, um, but I I think that now that decision is is going to come out. It could come out tomorrow, the twenty twenty third. It could come out the twenty seventh. The Supreme Court could announce another day, maybe June twenty ninth, if the opinion is not done. But I anticipate the opinion is going to come out month next uh, Monday, the twenty seventh or the twenty ninth. And I would also say this, remember that the FBI, the Biden Justice Department, Chris Ray and the FBI, they sicked FBI agents after every parent who protested at Loudoun County school board meetings, publicly protested lawfully at school board meetings. They sicked the FBI after every grandma and goofball who trespassed on the Capitol grounds on January 6th. They've shown that they're, they're, they are ready, willing and able to deploy when they want to. Why aren't they going after these demonic cult-like people who are harassing Supreme Court justices and their families and their homes, threatening, intimidating them? Why aren't they going after these people who are firebombing abortion clinics and Catholic churches? And you you and I know why. It's because they want this. The Biden Justice Department wants this to happen because they want a justice to break and change their vote. Yeah. Well, Nancy Pelosi just made that very clear, didn't she? I mean, that's a great clip to keep because it shows that she doesn't care. I could say something more strong, but I'll just say she doesn't care. Uh, and so she doesn't care about the violence that's breaking out all over the place. Well, let's talk, before we run out of time, Mike, I could talk to you for such a long time. The Supreme Court actually did something good yesterday. Can you tell us about that decision on the funding for religious schools? Yes, it's a great decision. In Maine, if you don't have a high school, uh, the state will give you tuition assistance to go to a high school because, you know, Maine can be pretty rural. And the Supreme Court said that Maine's system where it funds private schools but not private religious schools violates the First Amendment free exercise clause. You, It's not a 
It's not an establishment clause violation for the state to give parents funding to go to a, a, a religious private school, a non-religious private school, a public school, as long as the, the decision is made by the parents and not the state. So that's a huge win for religious religious liberty, uh, for school choice, and it could lead to um, uh, uh, to more uh, private school uh, private school choice for parents down the road where states can fund uh, 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 opportunity scholarships for parents. So it's a it's a huge decision, six to three. Okay, so we have to just stop and celebrate small victories, and that's one. Of, that's not a small victory, but in the in the, in the avalanche of bad news, uh, it is not as big as we probably need for our spirits to be lifted. Uh, I want to talk to you about the J6 committee because um, the J6 hearing, whatever, this uh, Soviet-style in, um, inquisition, I'd just like your general thoughts about it. Mike, before I ask you some specific questions, what how, what do you think the effect is? Do you think it's being effective? Just your thoughts. Has anyone even been paying attention to it? I mean, I think it's a joke. It's a kangaroo court. It's a bunch of left-wing lunatics and Trump-deranged Republicans who are handpicked by Nancy Pelosi to try to disqualify Trump from running for office. And I'm thinking, you know, they're talking about an attack on democracy. How is that not an attack on democracy? You know, if they don't want Trump to win the next election, organize political opposition to him and do it at the ballot box instead of this nonsense that they're doing at the January 6th commission. Look, I look at January 6th this way. It, you know, it was bad, of course, When, I, but I think there are three categories of people on January 6th. There were the the people who showed up and they were protesting peacefully and they have a first amendment right to do that. They should not be harassed in any way, shape or form. They, if they think the election was stolen, they have a first amendment right to think that even if you think they're wrong or they're crazy or whatever, that's their first amendment, right? Leave them alone. The people who trespass should be charged with trespassing or parading or whatever slapped on the wrist. And the people who are violent should be treated more harshly. But I, but I have a problem with, I ran the Kavanaugh. I, I helped. I was the staff leader for Senator Chuck Grassley, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee on the Kavanaugh hearing. There were people trespassing through the Capitol, harassing senators, uh, you know, chasing senators into elevators, disrupting the proceedings, and nothing happened. Right? Why do we have this double standard? The Antifa, BLM, caused up to two billion dollars in damage. They killed twelve people. They terrorized American cities. Uh, back in the summer of love in 2020, they're being let off the hook. But yet we're gonna we're gonna throw the book at every grandma and goofball who trespassed on January 6th. We're gonna try to cancel them. We're gonna put them in solitary confinement for over a year. No, this is not America. And these courts, but I've I've been hugely disappointed at these judges in Washington D.C. because they just don't have a backbone. They're political reptile. You know, they're swamp creatures. They're reptiles, and they need to stand up for people, even if, you, if they're not popular, especially because they're not popular. You need to stand up for their rights. And well, you can't just throw people in jail without charges for a year. Mike, I talk to, I talk, I listen, I'm, I talk about this almost every day because we have a lot of uh, people, I've interviewed some of the, the guys in prison. Uh, their stories are just heartrending. And of course, they're not even being discussed in this committee. But I, more, what I want to say to you, though, is the thing that I'm seeing out of these uh, committee hearings is I don't think the Americans, most Americans are watching. But what I see is 
you know, I don't need to explain to you how D.C. is a world apart, this vortex, this, I know they call it the swamp. I just can't say enough how you get in that vortex and you cannot see clearly. So what I see is the shifting of opinions from political pundits, Jonathan Turley, uh, Tom Dupree, Anil Cavuto, uh, they're beginning to, they are beginning to actually repeat uh, the premises of the committee, which are totally false. I'm telling you, uh, they are just totally false from all the information I've read and gleaned and people that I trust that are not in D.C. and some that are. They are giving us a completely false premise and trying to get President Trump criminally charged, trying to get John Eastman criminally charged for, a, for a, an opinion, a legal opinion about whether you could challenge electors. Um, it's I, That's the damage to me, that inside the Beltway, which is where they're able to come after people and punish them, uh, in real ways, that that's, makes me heartsick, and I'm very concerned about it. And that brings me to Jenny Thomas, uh, who has now been asked to come before the committee. And I could say a lot about that, but Mike, you you write and talk about this a lot. So, what are your thoughts about them asking the wife of a sitting Supreme Court justice to testify before their committee? This makes me so angry, Justice. Clarence Thomas and his wife, Jenny, are great Americans. I know them personally. I've had dinner in their home. I, they're, they're just great people. And Jenny has been a political activist her entire life. Long before Clarence Thomas became a Supreme Court justice, long before he was even a D.C. Circuit uh, judge, long before he was the, the uh, Equal Rights Commission chairman or whatever his title was back during the Reagan administration. She's been a political activist her whole life, and she has First Amendment rights just like the rest of us. And these these calls for justice, Thomas's recusal, are completely baseless. Jenny was not running for president. She was not running for vice president. She wasn't going to lose her job in the Trump administration, right? She has no legal interest in the outcome. She can have opinion. She can have, she can protest. She has First Amendment rights. And she showed up to January, she showed up at the protest outside peacefully. And that's my point about what I was saying earlier. You can't lump together everyone who showed up on January 6th to peacefully protest and lump them all together, call them insurrectionist, and then cancel them and go after the, go after them, go after their husbands. And that's exactly what they're doing here. Um, and uh, Mike, it's we only have 30, we have 30 seconds. Should she testify before them? I wouldn't if I were her, but, you know, she has a really smart attorney, Mark Galletta, who's known her whole, uh, for 40 years, and he'll guide her to the right to the right path. Well, yes. Well, thank you, Mike. Look, there's, like I said, there's a lot more we could say, but I appreciate And by the way, um, at Mike Davis is his Twitter uh, handle, and he just, if, to follow Mike on Twitter, if you're on that uh, outlet, is that uh, we'll give you a tons of information on what's happening in the court and some of the latest breaking news. And so Mike is a national treasure in, in terms of that. And he can think outside the Beltway, which is, is a great gift. So, Mike, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for your valuable time. Coming up next, uh, Senator Rick Scott. Stay tuned. Sadie Rios in the morning. Once a very bright atheist, he claimed to be the most reluctant convert in all of England. But when C.S. Lewis embraced Christ as Savior, he became one of Christianity's greatest vendors. I'm Charles Morris. Join me with Max McLean all week as we talk about Lewis's life, a series called The Most Reluctant Convert. 
Haven Today, weekday mornings at 4.30 Central on American Family Radio. Listen online at AFR.net. When you hear this... This is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. At the climax of the account, when Jesus restored Peter's personal relationship with him and Peter's call to ministry, he saw John following them. Jesus had just predicted that Peter would give his life for the gospel when Peter said, What about John, Lord? Jesus responded, What does he have to do with your calling? You follow me. With those words, Jesus hit a consistent flaw of the human condition. We derive value and self-worth by comparing ourselves to other people. Your ups, your downs, your failures, your victories were never meant to be compared to other people. We have been called to serve an audience of one. The only approval you need is His. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Hello? Hey, stranger. Oh, hi. Thank goodness it's you. I was afraid to answer the phone. Why? What's up? The credit card companies are after me. They want me to make payments, and the calls never stop. Ouch. Been there before, but I got help from Trinity Debt Management. Trinity? Yeah. I called, and right away, Trinity contacted my creditors and got my interest rates cut in half. They ended all the late fees and over-limit charges, and they stopped those annoying phone calls. Bet that was a relief. Yep. Then they put me on a plan that consolidated my bills and to one easy monthly payment. That way, I paid off my debt fast while saving thousands. Nice. Trinity even showed me how to plan and meet a monthly budget. So now I'm debt-free for keeps. Wow. Do you still have their number? Sure. Here, write this down and call 1-800-788-1813. Can you repeat that? 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. There may be a worse time for Joe Biden to pay a visit to the Middle East, but it is hard to think of one. The government of Israel has just fallen. Its parliament disbanded in the fifth round of elections in three years, called for October. The Biden team has been emboldening the Palestinians to engage in renewed violence. Jordan's kingdom is hanging by a thread, and the likelihood of conflict with Iran seems to be growing by the moment. There is literally no chance that President Biden's presence will improve matters. His team has fostered regional instability by subverting Israel, appeasing Iran's mullahs, and simultaneously undermining Saudi Arabia and asking it to increase oil production. China and Russia are making regional inroads at our expense. It's in the vital interests of the United States for Joe Biden to stay home. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Joe Biden has destroyed America's economy. It's time to be honest with the American people. Joe Biden is unfit for office and should resign. 
Senator Rick Scott, Wisconsin. I think the man has a problem. I'm Rick Scott from Florida, and I do have a problem, and so does every American. Biden is forcing America into a recession. I've got a plan to turn our country around. Take a look at rescueamerica.com. I prove this message. All right, Sandy Rios with you. We have something really interesting playing out here because uh, while many of us feel that the Republican leadership, I certainly feel this, uh, hides, they run, and they certainly don't represent the American people, and most of the time they're just silent on the, on the major issues. Uh, they're not on the same page. Sometimes we wonder if they're even on our page at all. And so enter Senator Rick Scott, who was elected in 2018 from Florida. And it's really funny that in that ad, uh, Joe Biden says it's Rick Scott from Wisconsin because he was the governor of Florida for two terms and now represents this state uh, in uh, Washington, D.C. And I um, asked him to join us this morning because um, I've actually been trying to book him since March. But he's a very busy man because in March, he got into an incredible dust-up with my favorite senator, not Mitch McConnell. They had a meeting of the leadership of the, the Senate and uh, Senator Scott proposed this plan, the, the American Rescue Plan, and the, the things that he thought would help to take back America and give them something to run on. And McConnell jumped up to the mic and basically said, uh, when we take the majority, I will be the leader, and we're not doing basically any of that. So this is a dust-up, uh, and we need to talk to Senator Scott to see exactly what he has in mind, and maybe he can give us some insight into what's going on there. Good morning, Senator Scott. Thanks for joining us. Sandy, it's great to be with you. Don't you think we ought to have a plan? Now, like, I'm a business guy. In business, we write plans, and we work our plans, and that's how we have success. If you look at anybody successful in life, they have a plan. So I put out a plan. It's at rescueamerica.com, and I told everybody, it's got 12 points. Tell me your ideas, and I'm getting thousands of ideas. Let's fight over what we're going to do when we're in charge, and then let's do it. I mean, how shocking is that? That's what we ought to be doing. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I am hell bent on making sure we have a fight over what we ought to do on the Republican side, and then we do it. You know, this is the thing. I don't need to tell you that Americans are desperate for good leadership. Uh, they found leadership in President Trump, and they appreciated and loved it. And now they find leadership in Ron DeSantis. Uh, but, and so they're desperate for real leaders to actually lead. And we have been actually operating in a vacuum ever since, well, I can't remember a time when Republicans in power, since maybe Newt Gingrich, who took a stand and gave some leadership on particulars. Uh, they really don't do that, uh, Senator Scott. And that's one of the most disgusting things about conservatives, those of us that work in Washington, and those of us that are the victims of that out in the country, the victims of the lack of leadership. Did you know that your plan was going to meet with such opposition with the leadership in the Senate? I, I was I was shocked. But look at what Newt did in '94. He said, "These are the these are my ideas." He got everybody on board to agree with him, and then guess what? They had a business plan of what they were going to do when they won. So I don't know that I don't. I'm not suggesting people that we. We pick Rick Scott's ideas. I'm saying, let's. Here's my. I put out my ideas. Everybody ought to put out their ideas, and let's fight over the best ideas. But I don't care if there's five or ten, whatever they are. My plan has have twelve steps, but whatever they are, let's go do them. Let's let's run on them, and let's win on them, and then let's do them. And so, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm. I was surprised people would would misrepresent, you know, think about, it. first off, they say, I want to raise taxes. That's the farthest thing from the truth, because think about it. I cut taxes and fees a hundred times as the governor of Florida. What I've said, though, is, and I, and I have a bill that I put in, uh, put out today. 
if you're able-bodied, you ought to go to work. You shouldn't be you shouldn't be on any government program if you're able-bodied um, and and you and if you don't want to work. Why do we Why do we Why would you be on food stamps? Why would you be in public housing? I lived in public housing. My mom worked. Uh, why would you Why would you have any of these Medicaid, food stamps, public housing? If you don't want to work, you are making that choice. There's plenty of jobs out there. Now, look, if you've got young children, if you've got a disabled relative, I get it. But if you're able-bodied, you ought to get out there and be part of the system. But if not, don't expect government to take care of you. That's not fair. Wow, those are those are revolutionary words. You know, I love that, and I agree with you. I came from very hardworking parents. My dad used to work seven days a week. My folks were not highly educated. They they earned what they made. I mean, they earned it by the sweat of their brow, and that's kind of how I came up too. And so that's just common sense to me. But you know. Senator, we have gone into this malaise, which is just frightening to me. You know, people are just not working. COVID made it even worse. The shutdowns made it even worse. Half of America, at least, is on the government payroll, you know, whether it's Social Security or, and we, again, okay, so now we have to defend Social Security. I'm not going to do that right now. Because Social Security is something people. No, it's not sustainable. In fact, Social Security is going to be out of money when? In in like 12 years? Something like that? Yeah, Cindy, let me, this is. Cindy, it's as simple as this. Would you tell your child, hey, I know I don't have enough money, but I don't want you to have a job. I'll take care of you for for, uh, for a while. And then when I run out of money, uh, I guess you tough luck. You would never do that to your child. You tell your, we all tell our children this, that you have to go to work. You, My mom told me, look, you might, we might be broke, Rick, but you can go be anything. But you know what? You have to work. And so I started working in second grade. I, I've never stopped working. It's part of the virtue of this country. This idea that we take good work, hardworking people and get them to spend more time trying to find another government program that they can get money from rather than applying for a job is wrong. You would never do that to any of your friends, your children, anybody. we got to stop doing that as a, as a country. We have low labor participation right now. It's because the Democrats want us to be dependent on them. That's wrong. Yeah. You know, uh, you're, let me tell people that you have called your plan the Rescue America Plan, and you can find it on rescueamerica.com. And I want to give people an idea. You just talked about one point, just one point. You say, our kids will say the Pledge of Allegiance, salute the flag, learn that America is a great country, and choose the school that best fits them. Government will never again ask American citizens to disclose their race, ethnicity, or skin color on any government form. The soft-toned crime days of coddling criminal behavior will end. We will secure our border, finish building the wall, and name it after President Trump. We will grow our economy. We will eliminate federal programs that can be done locally, enter, um, enact term limits. We will protect the integrity of American democracy in the elections. And I want to just certainly give this one before I, because that's not all of them. I'm rattling them off quickly. You say in point nine, men and women, men are men, women are women, and unborn babies our babies. We believe in science. I love these points, Senator Scott. Uh, how in the world did you come to these? Was this your original? What's on this uh, at rescueamerica.com? Were these your original points? This is, you know, it's actually what my mom taught me as a kid. So <laughs> okay. I was talking to somebody that, you know, I was, I was talking, I was talking to this uh, friend who grew up in a wealthy family. Um, and even though I grew up in a poor family, what we talked about is both of our parents, told us the same thing. You can be anything, but you have to work. 
It didn't matter whether you're rich or poor when I was growing up. Everybody, we lived in a country where we said, we can be anything. And by the way, this idea that we're going to ask, government's going to divide us by race, why would our government ever ask us our race or our skin color? Why wouldn't every child be taught that this is the greatest country in the world, which we are? So, I mean, we, we've got to have term limits. We shouldn't have permanent politicians. So these, these things are basic common sense. But you know what? We have to go fight for these things. The Democrats actually believe in the government running your life. They want to tell us how to think, what we can say. We can't complain. They really want to silence us. This is, the Democrats' attitude right now is like the, like the book burners uh, in, the, in the 1940s. They, would, they were going to tell us what we can read. They, they want to pick what we say, all these things. We've got to stop this. We've got to, we've got to put our effort into fighting for the country that we grew up in, where it doesn't matter what you're, what, how much money you had. You knew. You had a shot of the dream in this country. You could be anything if you wanted to work hard. And that's absolutely true. I mean, again, my family's an example of that, and you're, you certainly are, because you grew up from, you lived in public housing, as you have said in your bio, and you grew up to run a major company. You started out, I think, what was it, what was it, your donut shop was your first business. Yeah, my first, at, oh, I got out of the Navy, I joined the Navy at 18, I did everything, I, you would say, that's pretty questionable, Rick, but I joined the Navy at 18, <laughs> I, I got married at 19, I married a wonderful person, uh, we now have two kids, and uh seven grandkids. So we've been, we've been blessed, but I grew up in a country that's solely different, so different than what the Democrats are trying to create. Now we didn't have murder. We didn't have all this homelessness. You know, we didn't have $30 trillion worth of debt. We weren't running, you know, trillion dollar deficits. We weren't attacking our own country. You know, there's, there's a, a radical left in this country that doesn't like the American experiment. They don't like the idea that you can start from anything and be something. They don't like the idea that we are the greatest country in the world. They roll their eyes when we say those things. That's exactly what I believe. What I talked to, what my wife and I told our kids is, look, you got to go work hard. I mean, you're blessed. You live in this country. It's you're up to you to go make something happen. We, we got to fight socialism. But I'm excited about our country. I'm excited about the, our, our opportunity, but I know we have to fight for it and we have to have a plan. You know, there are other senators with you, as you well know, who have been fighting against the grain. We've got, Sen- I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not a fan of Senator McConnell. You can be a fan and you don't have to agree, but I'm not a fan. And when he stands up there with his, uh, it's like the uh, consigliere, I'm sorry, it's Senator Thune and uh, Dr. Barrasso and Senator Cornyn and others who stand there, uh, it doesn't inspire confidence uh, because they never say anything. They only respond. They say very bureaucratic, vague Things and we're supposed to fall at their feet. They don't inspire any of us, and we do see through the nonsense. So I want to ask you something. You are the chairman of the Republican Senatorial Committee, which means you have a lot to say about what candidates are chosen, and and the money then. And there's lots of money that comes from that committee and goes to support candidates. So are you going to be looking for candidates who actually have a plan and are willing to step out and actually stand for something? Absolutely. If you look at it, if you if you look at it, if you want to win, the public is anxious for people that have a plan. They're anxious for people to say, "This is what I'm going to do." When I ran for governor, I had a seven-step plan. Florida was in terrible financial shape. We had lost 800,000 jobs. People were leaving our state back in 2010, and they elected me because I said, "I've got a plan for 700,000 jobs over seven years." If you ask me the weather, I said, "I've got a seven-step plan to 700,000 jobs." We didn't do 700,000 jobs. We did 1.7 million jobs. 
And that's what people want. They want somebody with, hey, look, they might not agree with everything, but they said, looks like the guy's got a plan. Let's go try what he's trying because this other person, I have no idea what they're going to do. They just want to get elected. So if you look at who's getting, who's winning these primaries, it's people that are saying, we're going to change the direction of this country. And these are my ideas. And if you vote for me, I'm going to work my butt off to implement these ideas. That's how you win governor's races. That's how you win Senate races. I, I want to, first of all, underscore what you just said. You really did turn Florida around. You did a great job. And Florida became solvent and uh, just thrived economically. Uh, Ron DeSantis has reaped the benefits of much of the groundwork that you laid. There's no question about that. There is one thing that I have to ask you, though, and that is about red flag laws. That's if there's any, like, uh, subject that people are concerned about with you, it's that. Because when you were governor of Florida, you signed off on red flag laws. Now, I'm going to open this up. You can say what you want. It's coming up in the Senate. That's one thing where McConnell and the gang of whatever uh, always has an opinion. When they want to they want to uh, compromise with the Democrats, you know, they can find the strength to do that. And that's very disturbing to many of us. Red flag laws now, to me, are being presented at a different time in a different place where we, we know our neighbors are going to report us. We know that we are not safe. And I think red flags, flag laws are not, the, not, don't, are not operating the way we thought they might, and they would be very dangerous. I really want to know what your stand is on them right now and on this bill that's pending this week. Yeah, as you know, we had the um, we had the Pulse nightclub shooting, and then we had the uh, Parkland school shooting. We lost 49 people at the Pulse and 17 people at uh, Parkland. So what we said was, um, we said that if you're threatening harm to yourself or somebody else, then you know anybody can go to law enforcement. It would typically, be your family would go to law enforcement, and they say through a legal process where there was good due diligence. They could temporarily take away your gun, but it was never going to be permanent. So here's my belief. I think we have to be very careful. I believe in the Second Amendment. And if we do anything, it has to be done at the state level because it can get changed at the state level. And what might work for Florida might not work for some other state. So I've, I've been very clear. I will not support anything in Congress that has anything to do with taking away people's Second Amendment rights. Right, I think whatever should be done should be right. done statewide. Senator, great. I love that answer. RescueAmerica.com, his 12-point plan. Sandy Reels in the morning.